0: Love, Talk Radio.
1: From Lives in the Balance, the nonprofit organization committed to advocating on behalf of behaviorally challenging kids and their caregivers, this is Dr. Ross Green. Welcome to Collaborative Problem Solving at Home. I'm delighted that you were able to join in. This program airs live each Tuesday at 12 noon Eastern time during the school year. We explore a variety of topics aimed at helping you better understand and help your challenging child and implement the collaborative problem-solving approach at home. If you have a question or comment, call 347-994-2981. If you call in, you'll be muted until I bring you on the air. And now, let's talk about your challenging child and what we can do to help you Make things better. Hello there. Welcome to today's program. Um, As I always say, this is your weekly helping of collaborative problem solving. I get so much feedback from people telling me that this weekly re-immersment in the model uh, gets them back on track, gets them in the right space, chills things out, Puts them where they want to be. And of course, today is our parents' panel day. We do this once a month. Uh, I get together with Susie and Sharon and Peter, and we um, talk about collaborative problem solving and how they're doing with it. You have behaviorally challenging kids of their own, and um, sometimes they help you. Two, I think we have. um, Well, we have Susie and Sharon with us already. How are you both today?
2: Good, thanks. How are you? I'm doing well. Hi, Sharon.
0: Hi, Susie. How are you? Hi, Dr. Green.
2: How are you?
1: Sharon, we missed you last time, but we're glad we have you this time.
0: Oh, good to be back.
1: Thank you. Um, And I think we have a uh, parent who's not Peter standing by, and I want to encourage that parent to hold um, because we'll be bringing you on relatively shortly, I think, Um, depending on how our parents' panel goes today. We often don't take calls on the parents' panel, but um, do hang on, uh, caller from Area Code 607, um, if there's something you want to ask the parents' panel. Um, Susie and Sharon, I always start these parents' panel programs by asking you both if, and Peter, when he's with us, if you have anything that you wanted to start the program with today. So, Susie, anything you've been thinking about in the last month related to collaborative problem solving or challenging kids?
2: Well, actually, there is. Um, I thought our last program was so informative uh, to break down the steps and what we were having trouble with. Mm -hmm. And I was wondering if we could keep going with that, please. Um, I do have a question in particular that what do we do if the kid can't think of a solution and the adult can't think of a solution? Then what?
1: Very interesting question. Um, Let's start with the last part. Okay. Very often if they're having trouble thinking of a solution, it's because the concerns of both parties haven't been clarified well enough yet. Hmm. In other words, and this happens sometimes in my sessions with families, we'll have the unsolved problem that we're working on, we'll get to the invitation, I'll say, you know, let's think if there's a way to solve this problem, and usually I'm much more specific about it than that. Mm -hmm. And then we're all sitting there, and occasionally I'm sitting there thinking, I can't think of anything. Really? And then I'm thinking, that's because I actually don't think we have enough information about the concerns of both parties For us to actually think of a solution. Now, there's another possible pattern, and that's that instead of getting concerns on – so solution number one to that issue is get more – go back to the empathy step and the define the problem step to see if you can flesh out the concerns of both parties a little bit more. Mm -hmm. A related issue is sometimes that we don't really have concerns on the table in those first two steps of Plan B – What we have is solutions on the table in the first two steps of plan B. And now we're trying to find a way to sort of marry the solutions together. And it's very common that it's not possible to marry solutions together. Um, I would say that those are the two most common patterns that I see. Now, let's say that it's not... Not number one, it's not number two, neither is the pattern that's really going on here. Um I'd probably ask another third party if they can think of an idea mm-hmm. that the two parties involved in plan B couldn't think of. That's probably what I would do.
2: Well, thank you so much
1: now but let's is this a is this a situation specific to uh, your life
2: no actually. Okay. I have been um pleasantly surprised um which is a very cool part of the CPS process that when allowed the opportunity uh to you know invite the child to come up with a solution they have just come up with some awfully creative very uh savvy ideas and um that hasn't happened but I was just thinking about it and wondering what you thought.
1: It's not that it doesn't happen. Mm-hmm. I will say I find that if we've done a good job of getting the concerns of both parties entered into consideration, mm-hmm. it doesn't happen that much. And so I would say that scenarios number one and two are the most are the, are the things that I see most often. But then there was a part before that. Um, was it just that you wanted to go back to what's hard about the steps? Was that what preceded that?
2: Um, yes. Okay. Yeah, Let's I get to that that's one. That's what we were talking about. Let's
1: get to that one after we give Sharon a crack at any questions or thoughts that she wanted to throw into the hopper before we get going. Mm. Sharon.
0: Mm. Um, you know, I've had pretty smooth sailing since we've spoken last, was only number maybe... One is
1: still gainfully employed? Yes. Excellent.
0: And um, we actually, you know, left him on his own. We went away for a few days. And when we came back, the kitchen was clean and uh <laughs> the house was intact. So that was very nice. And, um, you know, we, we, we get to a few different, uh, you know, I'm learning to be more uh, accepting of um, who my kids are, um, meaning they're not very neat. And I have to get it out of my head that, you know, having boys that aren't neat is um, not going to change anytime soon. So... My vision of them cleaning up after themselves all the time um has to just sort of go out of my head, so as I am trying to train myself or retrain my thinking uh as to what my expectations are, you know when I lower my expectations, I guess you know they're met easier as in anything in life
1: well so. now, there are people listening now. Who are wondering if that's really the right play? Um, I well, don't know if I would you know,
0: call it, it I call to it adjusting. It. Yep. Um, I, I think sometimes my expectations are a little bit crazy. So it's the, you know you know if you if if you leave a few glasses in the sink, you know the world isn't going to end, and I don't have to just constantly nag. So I'm just I'm I'm trying to when they do and they do a lot of good things and uh, you know I think when I don't nag about things they seem to be uh, more willing to be helpful.
1: So let me ask you a provocative question. Yes. I'm going to ask nothing more than a yes or no from both of you. Are you ready? Mm-hmm. Ready. I happen to know that both of you have significant others. And so this is this is the yes or no part. Uh is there anything about your significant others on which you've had to adjust your expectations because it just wasn't gonna happen. Sharon? No. You've had to adjust nothing? Really? Nothing. He's <laughs> wow. perfect? You have a really perfect nothing. significant other?
0: Um, Pretty, pretty perfect.
1: Wow. Yeah. All perfect. right, Susie. Sharon just ruined it. But, Susie, <laughs> yes or no?
2: I've had to, yes, adjust my expectations.
1: Let's say Sharon had said yes. Most people would say yes. Sharon, mm-hmm. I know Sharon's husband, and I would have to agree. He's pretty close to perfect. Of course, I don't know him like she knows him. Uh, yeah, I, yeah, it's it's scary to tell you the truth. But go ahead. Um, I guess my question was going to be: since most people find that in their significant other, perfection is quite a reach. It's just not even close. Um, would it be any different in terms of one's need to adjust one's expectations with kids? Should it be different than spouses, or
3: hmm.
1: should we? It, a lot of people don't go into ma- well. A lot of people actually do go into marriage thinking I'm going to change this person. I'm going to mold them into what I'm hoping they would be, right?
0: You know, but um, but you know what? I'm not talking about when I'm at, when I'm placing my expectations on my kids. It's not like I'm placing them on my kids for the benefit of myself. I'm trying to teach them, trying, you know, how to, if you have it, how to take care of your life, how to put your clothes in the laundry, how to clean up after yourself, how to sort of be responsible for what you do for the future. It's not because I want the kitchen clean necessarily, which I do. It's, you know, learning how to be a responsible person. And and that's what I'm sort of talking about with my husband With, you know, he, of course, is not perfect in every way, but he, you know, You know what I mean? He basically uh, is orderly. There's nothing that he does, you know, physically around the house that's annoying. He's very neat and tidy. He's very responsible. He, he He has a good work ethic. He's loving. He's a good father. So, you know, I'm not going to nip, there's nothing about him I would change because, you know, I love everything about him, which is why I married him, um, you know, and of course there's things that, you know, annoy me that he does, maybe his expectations sometimes, uh, I don't meet his expectations, you know, I'm the one slacking off, um, but, you know, there's nothing I would change about him because, you know, he he's fine and, and it's not that I want to change my kids but I, I want them to be I want them to learn how to function in the world and if I have to do everything for them, you know, like I feel I do a lot of the time, then when when they go off in the world they're just gonna be sort of lazy and they're they're not gonna they're not gonna succeed. It's just, you know, you always told me about, you know, building schemas to get from one thing to the other. So isn't it the same thing with just you know, sort of organizing your life and learning how
1: to do it? Well, and I think the difference between your husband and your kids is that your husband largely does have his act together. He is responsible. He does take care of himself.
0: All right. Well, you know what, and because I think he grew up, you know, when you grow up with a one-parent family, he had to learn to do it quickly and to be responsible.
1: Whatever the so, reason. I mean, there's kids um, who grew up in two-parent families who... Um, turn out the same way. I yeah. guess the big difference is that kids don't have their act together from the beginning. Do need to be molded. And that's especially when that's when life gets especially interesting. Especially mm. if you have a kid with whom your vision of what needs to take place with the molding and your vision of what your kid needs from you so that as you said he can be sort of an adaptive member of society and have his act together in the real world. Right. Life gets especially interesting when what needs to be molded isn't going so smoothly with a particular kid. And then how You're we right. mold, how we mold, has a great deal to do with a whether we're going to make any progress or not, and, and b how ugly it is along the way. Susie, what about uh, what do you think? Different. <laughs> you've had to, you've come clean and acknowledge that there may be some things about um, your significant other that um, may not be completely pleasing. Is there a difference between spouses and kids?
2: Well, can I just, yes. Uh, I I just wanted to go back to to Sharon's um, adjusting or lowering the expectations, and I think she might have agreed to the word adjusting her expectations. Was that right, Sharon? Yes. Yes. Okay. About the kitchen, and I'm just wondering. Uh, you know, it's good not to be um, so so such a perfectionist about the kitchen, and I I certainly get that, but I am wondering if it isn't unsolved problem it's a perfect opportunity in a calm moment to have a plan B conversation if it's still bothering you, you know. Well, it, you
0: know what, they think that my, they'll say to me, Mom, just because there's a few glasses in the sink, the kitchen isn't a mess, you know, get off of it. So should I just say, okay, put them away,
1: wash them myself, be, not
0: get
2: into that the argument? Plan
1: that would that be plan C.
2: Right. Can you can you live with uh, three or four glasses in the in the sink as opposed to most of the kitchen is you know pretty tidy?
0: Yeah, but how long do they have to stay there?
2: <laughs> that's my question. <laughs> uh, that's something only you Forever. and your child can work out. <laughs> um. Sometimes they're cemented to the counter, and I
0: can't move them.
2: <laughs> well, maybe at that point it might be a good idea to to uh put the dishwasher on or wash them by hand um you know
0: we it's funny quickly we get into it uh my kids like pasta, so if one my 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 challenging son is making himself pasta, and uh-huh. he cooks for himself, which is fantastic, and he pours the pasta in a strainer and eats it and leaves the strainer and the pot in the sink, and I say, are you going to clean it up? He goes, yep, I'm going to clean it up later, you know, and then I, I need to make dinner later. So, you know, a few hours go by, I go, are you going to clean this up? I'll clean it up when I'm ready. So, uh, so sometimes I just pick it up, move it away, make what I have to do, then I put it back in. You know, the next day it's still there. So, you know, it's like I don't think my expectations are that crazy,
2: no, not uh, at all, and that—that's why, that's why Plan B is a, you know, such a great way to work it out.
1: But Sharon, you that, first have to that, decide whether. I mean, there's basically three options. You have an unsolved problem. Sometimes, correct. The, the kids are leaving things out in the kitchen that you'd prefer not be left out. Plan C is you saying. Um, not Not really, can I live with it, but more is this one of my high priorities at the moment do i Is this something I want to be working on right now? Mm-hmm. Plan A is saying i 'm um, going to decide how these guys how this problem is going to get solved, um, and i 'm going to lower the boom if things don't go the way i've decided that they will go and Plan b, which it sounds like you 've actually done a little bit of in terms of what the boys are saying to you about why the glasses are out. Two glasses do not a dirty kitchen make, according Mm -hmm. to the two boys, right? Plan B is you all working out a plan together that's realistic, meaning that both parties can actually do what they're agreeing to do, Mm
4: -hmm.
1: and mutually satisfactory, meaning that the concerns of both parties have been addressed. Now, I would say you've got further to go in the empathy step of Plan B to get a better handle on their concerns about dirty kitchens and glasses being left out in particular, I would say that if the glasses are sticking to the counter because they've been out so long, I'm betting that Plan C, you just letting it go, isn't going to go over well. Now, another Mm -hmm. form of Plan C is you just doing it for them. That would be Plan C as well. Then you don't have glasses sticking to the counter, but you're also not feeling like you've achieved your other goal, which is to have two guys who are going to be able to take care of themselves someday. But now you have to think to yourself, you know what, Um, one of my two guys in particular is working on some other pretty important stuff right now. And if the day comes where he lives the rest of his life leaving glasses on counters, um, so be it. I got bigger fish to fry with son number one. Um, some people who don't have a son number one like your son number one might criticize you, but that's only because they don't have a son number one like your son number one. Uh, when you have a behaviorally challenging kid, you got different priorities than some other folks do. Very true. But now you Chair, get to now oh, you sorry. get picked though. No, go ahead, Susie.
2: I was I was just going to say. Um, Sharon, if it makes you feel any better, you would recognize our little brown house because we're the ones with the garbage cans that are three or four days late in getting returned to, you know, the garage. Um, and it's it was my, my son's job who, um, as I've shared with you, was, extremely challenging and now it's my daughter's job um, who has
1: challenges of her own
2: who has uh, many challenges of her own right Um, but I I don't mean this as I'm I'm just trying to share to make you feel better that right you know know, it was just something that I've let go because getting her to school was more important that was that was our priority right now. Okay, the garbage just didn't get, you know, done exactly on Wednesday. It's Friday morning. They'll so they'll get in.
1: you got bigger fish to fry. Mm. I think Peter has joined us. Peter, is that you? Yes, I have. Peter, glad to have you with
3: us. Hi, Dr. Um, Green. Hi, Sharon. Susie.
0: Peter, how hey, are Peter?
3: you? I <laughs> just got back from a winter storm. I had to drop off my kids and... uh I was delayed in traffic for a significant amount of time.
1: I heard you guys were getting snow up there, and um, yeah, given that I'm going to you don't up have winter, there, right? Not not in New England anymore. We don't not anymore. we don't do that anymore. Uh uh-uh. yeah. We uh we skip winter now. <laughs> Occasionally we get a little cold, but we do no snow in the winter anymore in the Northeast.
2: It's really quite something. Um, you deserved it after last winter.
1: You know, I don't remember last winter. I don't remember one winter after the other. I know that we mm-hmm. haven't had much snow this winter, but next winter I won't remember whether we had snow this winter or not. <laughs> um, uh, Susie had asked at the beginning of the program that I review what's hard about the two steps, about the steps. And we did that on the last parents panel. Susie, did I make it through the define the problem step?
2: Um. Yes, you
1: did. So so, so the last step, and then we're going to actually take some callers, believe it or not. So I want to ask our callers to hang in there. Um, But let's let's cover what Susie had asked on this program. Um, What's hard about the invitation? Um, A lot of people skip it because they already think they know what the solution is. So letting the process play out can be hard. The wording of the invitation can be hard.
3: Hmm.
1: I usually start my invitations with the words, I wonder if there's a way. And generically, what am I trying to do generically? I'm trying to what what are we what is we're trying to solve this problem. So we could say I wonder if there's a way to solve this problem. But a lot of kids if you say that are going to look at you and say what problem? And so these days I recommend that people try to get the concerns of both parties back onto the table in the invitation, and that can be extremely hard. But it's also sometimes an indication that we don't have enough information about the concerns of both parties to actually be at the invitation yet. So what I sometimes tell people is if they're having trouble wording the invitation – they might want to consider whether, they're actually, whether they actually have enough information to do the invitation yet and go back to the empathy step and or to the define the problem step to gather the more information before they try to go into the invitation and actually start trying to solve the problem. But the wording can be hard. Let me give you an example of good wording. I wonder if there's a way for us to do something about all the noise that's going on outside your bedroom at night and making it hard for you to fall asleep. That would have been the kids' concerns. But still make sure, so that we can make sure that you're not so tired in the morning and have trouble waking up, so that you're late for school and I'm late for work. That would have been the adults' concerns. And the advantage here is it really makes it crystal clear what concerns need to be addressed for this problem to be solved. And so that's, if if you're having trouble doing that and you want to go with, I wonder if there's a way to solve this problem, that's not terrible. It's just at the risk that the kid won't know what problem you're actually talking about, or at the risk that the concerns aren't clear enough yet to actually have arrived at the invitation just yet. So that's hard. Another hard part is um, the definition of a of a good solution is that it's it meets two criteria it's realistic and it's mutually satisfactory realistic means both parties can do what they're actually about to agree to do as I always say it I can't tell you how often I see adults signing off on solutions that they know that either they and or the kid can't do not not that's just gonna that's not gonna be a solved problem and Mutually satisfactory means the concerns of both parties have truly and logically been addressed by the solution. I would say that those are the two things I see happening most often that people struggle with in the invitation. But now let me ask our parents' panel members um, have you ever had trouble with either of those two things, either the wording of the invitation? Or making sure that the solution was realistic and mutually satisfactory?
2: Absolutely. Yeah, definitely. Um,
3: both, both of those.
2: Both of those, and I can't tell you how many times we agreed to a solution that wasn't realistic, but the thing that saved us was we always ended a plan B conversation that if our solution didn't work out we'd revisit it and and go back to the drawing board and um come up with something else
1: good that that is how a plan b discussion ends mm-hmm. if this solution doesn't work we'll go back we'll go back we'll try to figure out why mm-hmm. and we'll come up with something that works better and that's just what we might call incremental problem solving. Um if at first you don't succeed, try try again, just try not to repeat the same mistake twice.
2: Right. Well I
0: always believe in at least repeating the same mistake twice. <laughs> 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 uh, and Dr. then I say, why did I do this again?
3: <laughs>
0: <laughs>
3: Doctor Green, the the difficulty I often run into is that my my um older son often wants to push his um solution as being the only solution mm. and then he's very unrealistic about um the time frames he he wants to do more than what what is available in the time and then if we try to cr- um try to approach things more realistically he'll say oh well then we then uh it's either your solution or my solution it, it's kind of he, he takes it as um we're abandoning every part of the solution rather than trying to pick parts that are more realistic. Would, what would you do in that situation?
1: Well, uh, you've got a few options. Within within Plan B, if you're already in the thick of it, you can just be careful to to point out to him that there are elements of his solution that you think are really could fly and elements of his solution that he's wondering about so that he's not so all or none about the solution. We might want to break his solution down into its component parts and let him know that there's parts of it that you think are actually um, quite realistic and would address the concerns of both parties, Um, although it sounds like it's the realistic part that is especially at issue given what you're describing at the moment. Um, But you could also talk with him outside of Plan B about what you've noticed when you try to do Plan B, and that is that you've noticed that he, he um, I'm not sure how I would word this because I don't understand it well enough to actually word it well. But and we don't have time for me to understand it as well as I'd like. But one possible way to say it is: I've noticed that when we are talking about solutions, when we're doing Plan B together, when we're trying to solve a problem together, I've noticed that when I wonder if the solution you first propose. Um, but when I wonder about parts of it, it looks to me like you get, and I'm not. this is the part I'm not sure how to say, um, you get discouraged or you feel like it's got to be one solution or the other. You'd know better than me how best to word what's actually going on.
3: Okay. But that would
1: be a discussion that's taking place outside of Plan B so that, quite frankly, you can get a lot more information about what's going on inside of Plan B. I actually don't want to make any assumptions about why he's doing that. Um, So I'd probably go the sidebar route, but, um, you know, have a discussion with them about what's going on inside of Plan B, but not do it when we're already in the thick of Plan B, but do it outside the context of Plan B. Okay, thank you. That's what I would do. I'm thinking that we've had people holding on for so long that we ought to take some calls. Are you guys ready? Great. From area code 607, you are on the air with the parents panel. Proceed at your own risk.
3: <laughs>
1: Thanks. Are you still there?
5: still there? I'm here.
1: What's on your mind today? Hello? What's on your
5: mind today? Okay. Um, I, call, I guess I, um, I'm not sure if um, I have anything to offer with what's going on today. I'm the grandmother that emailed you regarding my five-year-old grandson.
1: Did I email you I back? You re- email re- you uh, back? Uh, pardon me? Did you get an email back from me yet?
5: Yes, I did, and you um, you suggested that I do a uh, call-in to your uh, program.
1: You're calling in now. Now, here's the question. Um, one possibility, since we only have 13 minutes left, and if I recall, it's a somewhat involved issue. Do I remember that right?
5: Yes, you're correct.
1: So here's what I'm wondering. I hate to do this, but because I want to make sure that we give – Your situation, the the most thorough discussion possible, are you able to call back next Tuesday at the same time, and I'll put you on the air first?
5: I can do that, sure.
1: Is that okay? That would be wonderful. Thank you. I hate to put you off a week, but I want to make sure we cover... What we need to cover with you and I remember that it was not, not, going to not be a quick one.
5: Okay, that's that's quite all right. Um, is there anything that you would like me to do in the meantime? I've been taking notes and I've been you know trying to kind of keep track of what's been going on.
1: I would say call in next week and we'll we'll cover it.
5: Okay, well thank you very much.
1: You bet. Thanks. For, sorry that you hold on for so long for to have to wait a week, but let's do it that way so I can make sure I answer your. Questions and, well. questions and concerns. Well,
5: that's quite all right. Thank you so good. much. You
1: bet. Good. Um, let's go to our other caller. We'll see what we have here. Area six, code six zero two. This may be a previous caller. How are you today?
4: Um, good. Good. What's on um, your mind? Um. Well, I. Uh, I have a daughter who's fifteen. She's in. She's in a uh, high school. Um. She's had an IEP since the third grade. And I've always been told that she's perfectly capable of doing the work. She just refuses to do it. Well, I have since, you know, found your book, Lost at School, and now I am in the process of having the third IEP meeting to implement a behavior plan that incorporates elements of collaborative problem solving. Mm. My problem is I'm dealing with a school that is so inflexible that I'm not sure how to use collaborative problem solving to get collaborative problem solving implemented into the behavior plan. All right, That's, and that makes, <laughs> does that make sense? <laughs>
1: it makes total sense, and it's a tall task. I'm I'm assuming yes. you've never written an IEP in your life.
4: Um, I have never written one, but I've seen I've seen them since. Since she's had one in the third grade, every year oh, they rewrite it the same way, and I've been told, you know, it's always been written as her. She has a lack of motivation, and this is the first time where I'm saying, you know what? We're going to throw all that aside. We're going to assume that she is motivated, and we're going to move forward. And they, it's like they're so inflexible that I don't know how to steer de- steer them down the right path. And I've gone all the way up to the governing board to try to find someone who might be open enough to let this information in and, and try to work with me. I, I may have found someone. I'll find out at the meeting today. But I can't even get them to give me more than an hour and a half for the meeting.
1: All right. Well, you know, an hour and a half might be plenty for one meeting. It's just that you might need another meeting. Right. And if <laughs> and this, this, will, meeting this goes... will be the third one. Well, if this meeting goes well, I guess my attitude is um, we should meet until we get it right. Yeah. We, should, we shouldn't meet to get the meeting over with and say that we had the meeting. Right. We should meet until we get it right. And if this hour okay. and a half meeting goes well, then they may be inclined to have another meeting. Now, here's, here's the two things I can think of. First of all, well, this is not one of the two things, but the first thing I wanted to say is good for you for being you. such a good advocate for your kid.
4: I don't good. think they feel the same way, but... <laughs>
1: um, good for you. Um, they may not feel the same way, but maybe if you continue advocating for your kid for different ways of doing things, they may be singing your praises someday. And if they're, even if they don't, you've advocated for your own kid. And um,
3: yes.
1: you're not doing that because they'll sing your praises someday. You're doing that because it's your kid.
4: Right, right, absolutely. Here's and she two. has become an advocate for herself as a result of me being an advocate for her. So.
1: Outstanding. Here's here's the two things I was going to say. First of all, um, I hope that the person you have found can be helpful. What I'm always telling parents is to try to find somebody in the building or in the system who is a sympathetic ear and can tell you how to make things happen and how to advocate best for your daughter. So. Thing number one is I'm hoping that the person that you have found actually turns out to be helpful in that way. Me too. Thing (laughs) number two, I did a talk about two weeks ago here in Massachusetts and um, was going to post the recording of that talk because it was a talk about collaborative problem solving and IEPs. Okay. Okay. And I was going to post it on the Lives in a Balance website when I got it from the folks who recorded it because the talk was recorded. And you calling today has reminded me that I haven't received that from them yet. And so (laughs) what I'm going to do is email them, ask if I can get the recording, and post it on the Lives in a Balance website. Now, I doubt that I'm going to have it up there in time for your IEP meeting.
4: Right. Yeah.
3: Since it's a but three you can today, let the folks yeah. in the
1: IEP meeting know that there's going to be recording on the Lives in the Balance website. I'm hoping within the next week or two, if I can get it, um, that is about collaborative problem solving and how it influences IEPs.
4: Okay. Yeah. Because the the lady that I found, I I kind of got a hint that maybe she was receptive, so okay. I emailed her the the peer reviewed article of the the. CPS, working with, I think it was op, um, ODD disorder,
3: mm-hmm. because that was
4: the only peer-reviewed article I could I could find on the website. So I emailed that to her, and that brought up a conversation that she teaches at Arizona State University, and mm-hmm. she's very interested in that article. And so I'm like, great, so that means the door is open and I can go through this, right? Well, now, <laughs> if you go to
1: the Lives in the Balance website,
4: uh-huh. there
1: are and you go to the Research, Etc. section, uh-huh. you will find not only that article, the research on collaborative problem solving, the paper that I think you have in your hands, but also links to, I believe, four others, uh, three that were papers that were presented in Iceland recently from a very uh-huh. large project going on in at Virginia Tech's Child Study Center where there's a major five-year study examining the effectiveness of collaborative problem solving. It's basically a replication of the study that you're talking about.
3: Okay.
1: And one that's been going on in Sweden, um, whose results uh, you can find online as well. So here's the cool part about collaborative problem solving. It's a young model, um, but there's a lot of research already starting to document its effectiveness. So it's the research, et cetera, section way down at the bottom of the left-hand side of the home page of the Lives in a Balance website. You'll get find more than just down. that one paper. And I will try Absolutely. to get a hold of that talk that I did on collaborative problem solving and IEPs and get it up on the Lives in a Balance website as soon as I can. How's that? Oh, that
4: would be great. That would, and, and, you know, I mean, eventually, I mean, she's got two and a half more years to go. I mean, I would like to, I would like to go to the governing board with something like this because this school... I- implements after-, after school detention for every everything imaginable. I mean, they have to they had to add another late bus to take all the kids home from after school detention. My daughter said there are three huge classrooms every day of kids who are in detention from everything from not bringing a pencil to school to not, you know, having their homework completed.
1: Wow, that intervention must be working really well.
4: I know, right? <laughs> I know, right? And I'm like. How do I, I, I mean, I, I guess my other question is what kind of information in the, like, Freedom of Information Act can you pull from the school to bring to the governing board to say, hey, this is not working. Here are the statistics of why it's not working. I mean, with, with all the privacy, of, I know they're not going to give me all the names of the kids who are in trouble all the time, but I read your article about the frequent flyers. Yeah. And I wanted to take that direction with the governing board, saying, you know, these are the kids that are getting in trouble all the time. Maybe it's not, you know, punishment is not the answer.
1: I'll, I'll tell you what I, w- I I'm not a Freedom of Information Act expert, but I'll tell you what I would also like you to do. There's, okay. an, about, there's an About Lives in the Balance page on the Lives in the Balance website, and on that okay. page is the email address of the Associate Director of Lives in the Balance, Lauren LaPatte. And I'd like you to Thank email her because this is something that Lives in the Balance would like to help out with and the, the Lives in the Balance has two has two goals and roles uh, number 1 giving away the collaborative problem solving approach for free so that people um have ready access to it and don't necessarily have to spend any money to get it but goal number
3: oh,
1: 2 goal number 2 is to advocate on behalf of behaviorally challenging kids and their parents and teachers and other caregivers yeah. and um and Lives in the Balance uh, would we'll do some research on this and help you out if you could. Oh, if,
2: that would if we be could. Fabulous.
1: Um we've done it on some select we're not huge as a non profit yet, but um we do whatever we can and this sounds like one that we would be interested in learning more about and helping you out with. So do email oh, Laura would, as well.
4: Yeah, 'cause I would I would like to get enough information together so that I can sound intelligent when I go to the to the We'd governing board meeting. You. Delighted
3: that would to be help you out. Fabulous let us know like how it I goes
4: just, let okay. us know how
1: it goes and i'll get that info up on the website as soon as i get it from the people who recorded it
4: awesome thank you good very much good luck to you you bet all right bye bye
1: take care bye bye so we're about at the end of the program parents panel members but um peter we have about another minute left so you're you're going to have to be fast but i know that you were quite the advocate for your kids in your school system, especially in your old one, and I think in your new one as well. Want to tell us um, how you made it go well?
3: The okay. most important thing that I was able to do is get information to the decision makers. So there was a sympathetic um, vice principal at the school, and I got, to, I purchased copies of your book, uh, Lost at School. And then I actually sponsored. Um, two teachers to go to your conference, Wow, Uh, the vice vice principal herself and then um, my child's classroom teacher. And it was from that point when they were able to change their um, thinking about uh, what they were doing before, and then they had a a fairly complete new model. Now, I I was going to mention to the caller that you often have um, in your seminars, there are seminars that can be attended online. And if she's willing to do it, that, that there might be a possibility that uh, somebody at the governing board level or even at the school might be willing to devote a day if she's willing to uh, flip the bill or something. And that, that might be a good catalyst to get things going.
1: Parents panel, we are out of time. Thank you all. Talk to you next month.
3: Thank Bye. you. Bye.
2: Take care.